Uh, hey, my name is Prentice. Uh, I am the lead pastor at uh, Bethany in West Seattle. Uh, and I'm so glad to be here tonight to share with you guys. Uh, it's not often that I get a chance to be here with, with you. And so I'm really excited. How are you guys doing tonight? Are you guys doing okay? You guys, you guys seem like you guys are half asleep a little bit. Uh, and so I just want to make sure that you are excited as much as I am, uh, because I really believe that God has something to say tonight uh, to myself as well, to you, uh, and as a church together. And, and so I don't know if you're a, a note taker or not, but if you are, you're going to be really annoyed with me tonight <clears throat> because... Uh, I won't be using the actual note sheet bulletin that is in front of you. But if you are, I'll do, I'll do this. Here's where we're going tonight. We're talking about what it looks like to be peacemakers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. And so where we're going tonight is, A, we're going to say, okay, we got to find peace. And, and that first peace, the peace comes from God as the foundation so as we find peace with God, we, we, through that, we can find peace with others. That would be your second point. And then we can find peace with ourselves. So peace with God, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. And so we'll unpack that tonight. So join me in prayer. God, thank you so much that we can just take a breath right now. That in the chaos, in the messiness of the grief, of the whatever it is that we bring to the table tonight, that we can find peace. The peace that comes from you and you alone. And it's through that peace we can extend to others and to ourselves. And so speak to us in the individual ways that we need to be spoken to tonight. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So a few years ago, for several summers, uh, I used to take students down to Mexico on a summer mission project. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever been to Mexico, on, especially on one of those mission projects. A lot of us, good, got a lot of good Christians here. Uh, and I used to lead those trips at every summer and we would do this. We would go down to this little town called Ensenada, and we would say that we're going down there to build a house. Now, the reality is the house wasn't actually a house. It was actually a slab of 12 by 12 concrete, and we would throw up some frames and then a roof, and we'll call that a home. And so that's what we did uh, summer after summer. Now, the one big difference between building a home down in Mexico, at least the way we did it, was that we didn't have all the, <clears throat> all the fancy tools and the mixers and, and, and all the professional people. We had shovels, buckets, water, and then the ingredients to mix the cement. And then for me, I had the eager high school students to do all the work. Uh, and so what we would do is that in that summer in Mexico, when it's like 100 degrees outside, instead of having this mixer, we would have to mix it ourselves. And we would have to do it perfectly. So listen to this. It was a five-day trip. The whole project was five days. And three of the five was just focused on the cement portion. Just on the cement portion. We spent three days out of the five. And so what we did was we all grabbed shovels. 
We were the human mixers. Someone would dump the water. Someone would dump the, mix, uh, the cement mix. Someone would dump the gravel uh, in this perfect combination. We just have to stir it all day. It's all afternoon, 100 years weather. We're just stirring it, stirring it, and finally we put it into a bucket. Someone would have to pick up the bucket, move it over to our house, lay it down, and have to flatten it out just perfectly. It had to be just right. They understood, we understood, that the, uh, the quality of the structure was dependent on the quality of the foundation. As long as we were able to spend enough time making sure that, that, that the foundation was good, then we can understand and have confidence that that structure, everything that's laid on top of that, would actually be solid and functional, and it would stay up, withstanding the different weathers and winds and waters. And so this understanding of this foundation applies exactly to what we're actually talking about today. It says that blessed are the peacemakers. God is with you when you pursue in making peace. For you will be called the children of God. What we have to understand is the foundation of all of us making and pursuing and desiring peace begins with this foundation of peace being within ourselves. Within ourselves. To become peacemakers, we must fully embrace our identity as the children of God before we can extend that peace and pursue peace with others. To become peacemakers, we must fully embrace our identity as children of God, being adopted, which we'll talk about in a second, into God's kingdom. It's embracing this identity that becomes the very foundation in which we are able to find peace with God ourselves and in turn, Make peace with others. And just as importantly, but neglected, through that we can find peace within ourselves. But let's talk about this whole idea of peace. Let's, unp let's unpack this for just a moment. To define peace in English, we often consider peace as the, uh, an absence of conflict. As long as no one's fighting, as long as no one's yelling and people are quiet, then we have peace. And this is a very different understanding of peace in the New Testament in the first century and in the Old Testament. See, the original word for peace that's used here in, in Matthew in the Greek is this word irene. Irene means peace in Greek, but irene is actually uh, also translated from the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word of shalom. And I know many of us <clears throat> have heard of this word shalom before. And so ultimately what it's saying is blessed are those who make and create shalom. So shalom type of peace is not simply the absence of of conflict, but it's actually the absence of God's design. Yeah, shalom, and, uh, shalom, peace is not simply the absence of conflict, but it's the absence of God's design, of God's intentions, of God's desire for us in this world. See, we see a perfect example in Genesis 1. At creation, there was peace, and not just peace, but there was shalom that there was perfect harmony 
between Adam and between the first humans together. There was perfect harmony between the humans and God. And there was perfect harmony between themselves. And in Genesis chapter 225, it says both that Adam and Eve were both naked and they were unashamed. Now, we have to realize that when the Bible says here that they were naked and unashamed, it goes far beyond the fact that they were physically nude. All right, so that's, that's not the point of that statement. And it's actually a big statement. The whole point is that with one another, they were completely vulnerable. There was no shame. There was no fear. There, there was no fear of judgment. Uh, there was no criticism. There was no gossip. There was no hatred that they can stand in front of one another completely naked, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and they would have no shame. That is shalom. And they were wide open with each other, with God, and with themselves. And in chapter 3, sin was introduced to the world. And immediately, as soon as sin entered the world, shalom as we knew it would be severed. There would be a disruption in God's harmony amongst people, amongst themselves, amongst one another. And when there is a disruption in shalom where God's intention is to be, the result is the opposite of what they felt. It's conflict. It's shame. It's blame. God, God what, are you, what are you talking about? She gave, me, she gave me the fruit. What are you talking about? The serpent, the serpent gave me the fruit. There's blame. There's lies. All of a sudden, they knew they were naked, and they, and they covered themselves up because, oh, my gosh, what is he going to think? What is she going to think? What is God going to think? All of a sudden, the, the, the time where there was no shame, now there is shame. And there is fear. And then not only that, not only were they ashamed and, and the shalom was broken with one another and, and even themselves because they felt ashamed, they tried to run away from God as if they can run somewhere and actually run away from God. And I love that it says, God said, all right, where are you? As if God didn't know. They tried to run from God. It, it reminds me of uh, when I used to play hide and seek with my younger sister. Uh, it'd be really funny because we'd play hide and seek and I'll say, all right, it's your turn. You got to go run or you got to go hide. And she's like, okay. And she's like four or five years old at this time. And she would run and she would find uh, upstairs, we'd have big curtains and she would wrap herself around the curtain with her feet just hanging out. I can hear her laughing and snickering and ha ha ha. And I'm like, all right, where are you? And I knew she was right behind the curtains. And I feel like that's the image that I get when God is saying, all right, where, where are you? See, they were running because now shalom, the, the, the design that God intended things to be so good, so perfect, so peaceful, so much harmony is now broken. And now, although today we may not use this word shalom, we've experienced shalom. Those times when you just know that things are exactly the way it's supposed to be. And you can breathe, you can have peace, you can have joy, you find comfort no matter what. You've experienced shalom. But the opposite is also true, that we've experienced, all of us, a disruption in shalom. Just watch the news. You'll hear stories after stories after stories about a disruption 
of shalom, when we see war, when we see political division, it's a brokenness in the shalom, the way that God wanted and created it to be. When we see racism and sexism and hatred of somebody of any sort, we see a brokenness of shalom. When we see women and, and children being exploited, trafficked, sold like objects, that is brokenness in shalom. When we see homelessness, people dying of basic essentials that we take for granted, like food and water, that's a brokenness of shalom. When we see addiction, and maybe even in ourselves, and we wrestle with pain and anxiety and depression, that's many of us, if the statistics are correct, there's a deep sense of void in our souls. That is a brokenness of shalom that we are experiencing. When there's anger and hurt between maybe you and a, and a friend, a loved one, a spouse, children, what God intended to be so good, we've experienced it being severed. Seeing where there is brokenness, where there's relational chasms, where there's uncertainties that causes anxiety, it's this peace, this shalom that God brings that gives us comfort and hope to ourselves and to others. And we are called to be agents of that peace. When we see a disruption, not only do we pursue peace and shalom and wholeness for ourselves, but we are to be agents of that peace onto other areas of where we see brokenness. And we call that work of reconciliation. And if our goal is shalom, is peace, is wholeness, to bring back what God originally intended it to be, if our goal is to pursue shalom, then the vehicle to get us there is reconciliation. As we read, it says, so if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. And, and listen to this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us, given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are responsible to be makers of, of peace, of shalom in the areas that we see shalom broken and severed. But the reality is it begins with finding peace with God first in our lives. It is that very foundation wherein which we can find peace with others and ourselves, but first and foremost, it begins with us finding peace with God. So find peace with God. That is our found, that's our foundation. See, peacemaker, when it, here in Matthew chapter five, it's two words put together. It's irene, which means peace, and this word poeo, which means to make, to create, to produce. And in this ancient Greek understanding of poeo, to make, to create, to produce, is a word that describes a tree producing fruit. The tree poeo makes the fruit. The fruit is what's good, what's, what's delicious. It's what we want. It's what we want to eat. It's the reason why we sometimes grow fruit trees. But the reality is that we wouldn't nurture the fruit 
The fruit is a byproduct of the nutrients flowing in the care that we have for the actual plant or the tree. In the same way, shalom works in that exact same way of poeo, is that the idea is that God is in charge of shalom, and the shalom that we receive ourselves and to give others, first and foremost, begins with, with God. God is the producer of peace, and it's God that gives the peace to us in order for us to give to others. And so the Bible frequently talks about this whole idea of producing fruit, good fruit, bear good fruit. Matthew chapter 7, chapter seven a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. John 15, it says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Philippians chapter 1, it says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus. If we want to build and make and create peace where there's division and there's pain and there's hurt out in the world, first we must find peace with God. With God. In order to create peace with others, with ourselves, it needs to be an overflow of peace that already resides in you and in me. And so the amount of shalom, of peace that we're able to receive and embrace from God oftentimes becomes a measuring stick of how much we're able to produce this for others. And so a question I have for you tonight, do you need to find peace with God? Are you angry with God? Are you upset? Are you disappointed with how life turned out? Maybe you got dealt some unfortunate cards. Uh, are, you, uh, are you upset? Are you angry with God? Make peace. Do you feel distant? God, where are, do you ever find yourself praying that over and over and over again? God, where are you? God, are you listening? God, are you even there? Yeah, I know I have. Make peace. Shalom. Be desperate to be so connected with God's heart. Do you feel shame tonight? Do you feel like you're hiding from God? Make peace with God. God is for you. It says that God is for you and not against you. Know that. Believe that. Lean into that. And receive the peace that God has for you. Because the only reason we don't and cannot find peace from God is because of our shame and our guilt and our wall blocking it out. And God is saying for many of us tonight that even though you feel distant, even though you feel shame, even though you feel pain, even though you feel regrets, that tonight that God wants to offer you this peace that can only come from God. See, many of us, we try to fix the problem uh, 
in other ways. As long as I have more money, as long as I have bigger status, as long as I have material possessions or particular relationships, then I will find peace. As long as I have the best grades or getting the best college or getting the best major, then I will find peace. But the reality is, the more and more we, we chase after upward mobility and all those things, the further and further away are we going from the real peace from the tree that produces real fruit. And more and more we become disappointed. So tonight for many of us, find peace with God. That is your starting point. Hey, and I just had this conversation with, uh, with one of my friends two weeks ago, and he said, okay, we're having this conversation, talking about this sermon, uh, and it sounds easy, find peace. Well, where do I start to find peace? And I don't have all the answers because that looks very different for a lot of us. But I say a good starting point is having it out with God. Have you guys ever been in a fight with God? I mean, I know I have. I know some of you guys are way too good. Like, no, I've never gotten a fight. I've gotten into big fights with God. And I really want to say that God can handle it. God's a big God. And God understands what you're going through. And God already knows what you're feeling. But there's a sense of honesty and vulnerability and desperation and calling out to God and saying, God, where are you? God, are you actually there? God, we're in a fight right now. There's something sacred and there's something holy about that. And that could be a great starting point in actually finding peace. I mean, have you guys ever had that with somebody else? You guys love each other, but you're yelling at each other and you're trying to get things off your chest and you're going and you're going and you're going and finally say, ah. Ah, I felt good. Now we can talk about peace. See, I really do believe that it's through that vulnerability, that honesty, that God really honors. And peace can come forth through that. And then it's through that we can find peace with others. We can make peace with others when there's brokenness in relationship, in friendship, in marriage, in whatever it is. I love in our context here that Jesus' words, that when Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are peacemakers, this was during a very volatile time in ancient Palestine. Uh, and it was a time where the Jews were being oppressed by the Romans. And because of that oppression, uh, the Jews had different groups uh, of revolt. Uh, because they're like, oh, we're not going to put up with this. And, and one big group was called the Zealots. I mean, they were an aggressive group. And they fought uh, against the Roman Empire with violence uh, and by fighting and with weapons. Uh, and even within the Zealots, there was another group called the Saccharides. The Saccharides, they were, in the Greek translation, it's the Dagger Men. And the dagger men are this Jewish group that would uh, go against the Roman Empire by having daggers. And they would go into public places where the Romans were and they would kill them or stab them or hurt them. And they would fight fire with fire, weapon with weapon, pain with pain, hurt and hurt. And it's in this context, it's in this backstory that Jesus is actually declaring that if you actually want to be part of the kingdom, you can't do that. You can see that this was a big statement, a very upside-down way of living. In order to make, in order to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to actually make peace, not war. 
and not fighting and not violence. And then later in Matthew, it says uh, that it says, do not resist an evildoer. It says, do not resist an evildoer. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that fine, anytime there is conflict, anytime there is division, that I just roll up and I just shrivel up and I just take whatever comes my way? Well, that's not what Jesus is saying either. See, there's this, uh, there's this world that Jesus is in that's very polarizing. There's only two options. Either you fight back with violence, with violence or you shrivel up. That was it. That was your two options. And oftentimes, we are left with those two options too. And you know what it's called? It's called fight or flight. Fight or flight. And, and see, so here's the deal. Fight or flight is an easy way to take care of conflict. It actually doesn't solve anything. It doesn't bring reconciliation. It doesn't really bring shalom, the real peace. Maybe peace, the absence of conflict, but it doesn't truly bring shalom where two things that were once together, that was broken, back together again. See, when Jesus says, do not resist an evildoer, this word resist is a Greek word called antistani. Do not antistani an evildoer. Now, resist, the English word, the way we translate it, we get this notion that says, well, don't resist, just let it happen. But actually, antistani just means don't respond the way that you are being responded to. That's it. Don't react the same way the perpetrator is acting on you. If that person is using violence, if Jesus isn't saying don't respond at all. Jesus is saying don't respond the same way. Now that takes work. That takes creativity. That takes strength. Because in this culture, in this world, even for all of us, for you and me alike, we like to go tick for tack, right? If someone gossips about you, what do you do? Well, you gossip about them. Or if someone puts you down, well, what do you do? You put them down. If someone does you harm, well, what do you do? You, you do them harm back. If someone physically harms you, what do you do? You want to physically harm them back. And what Jesus is saying, if you want to have shalom, peace restored in your relationships, something has got to change. And this cycle of violence this cycle of lying, this cycle of gossiping, this cycle of hurting one another, it must end, and it must end with us, with you, with me, because we are called to be the makers, the creators of shalom. You know, a good example of this is just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a college student, and in the middle of our conversation, uh, he gets a text. And uh, I was like, hey, man, if you, if you want to respond to it or call back, hey, feel free. Go ahead. And, and he, said, he said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait 10 to 12 minutes. 10 to 12 minutes? Why would you want to wait, wait 10 to 12 minutes? Oh, Prince, you, under, you, don't, you don't understand. It's actually a girl that I really like. <laughs> okay. Well, she texted you. That's a good thing. Don't you want to respond to her? And, and, and he said, his, <laughs> his answer was, oh, no. Uh, I texted her first, and she waited about 10 minutes, and so now I have to wait 10 minutes, so that way it doesn't feel so eager. Like, oh, okay, so 10 minutes later, he, you know, he, he texts her, and then, you know, 15 minutes later, she texts back, and it's this crazy game, this cycle of, well, I, 
Well, I can't respond too quickly. Well, now I'm not going to respond until tomorrow. Well, well, I can't text this person because I texted last. And so, therefore, the ball's in this person's court. And, and I'm just sitting here just boggled in my mind saying, no, just call her. Like, <laughs> like hang out. You, I don't, just do it. The cycle must end. <laughs> and I know that's a silly scale that we're looking at, but there's so much division and pain and hurt all around us. And our proper response isn't to participate, isn't to join, isn't to respond the same way we are being responded to. Instead, it's to be creative and to be different and to live a kingdom that is so, so upside down. And I don't know what that means for you. And I don't know where you're experiencing a brokenness of shalom. Again, maybe with, it's with a loved one. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's an injustice that you see out in the world. I don't know what it is, but what is your next move? What is your next move? Maybe it's humility. Maybe it's apologizing. Maybe it's pursuing forgiveness. Maybe it's even the self-awareness. Maybe it's a willing to listen, to understand, to empathize. Now, all of this is actually hard work. It's much easier to fight. It's much easier to flight. But the work that God has called us to do is uncomfortable. And it forces us to look into a mirror. and exposes our own selves and our own brokenness. So who do you need to make peace with? Tonight, tonight, and what does that look like? Because when you have the foundation of knowing and finding peace with God, peace with others is possible. It is possible. Believe me, trust me, it is possible. You have the peace within you, and you can create the peace around you. But the cycle must end. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, by contrast, from the cycle, from the contrast of unhealthy behavior, from the, contracts of, the contrast of toxic relationships, it says the fruit of the Spirit, there's one fruit, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe one of those is your next move. And there's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. What is the Spirit telling you tonight? Where do you need shalom and with whom? Because when we have that foundation, that peace that we find in God, we can find peace with others, and now we get to, we can, we can make peace with ourselves. And for some of us, out of all of these, out of finding peace with God, out of finding peace with others, the hardest thing to do is finding peace within our own souls. It's the scariest part of this whole equation. And there's many of us, many of us in this room right now wrestling with just this, wrestling with our own selves, 
Because this idea of shalom, of peace, is so, so far, far away. It feels like the gap between who I am and who I want to be is so large. The gap between where I am and where I want to go is so big that we can't help but to feel this disruption of peace, of shalom, of wholeness in our lives. And I don't know what that means for a lot of us, and I don't know why. You know, lately, I don't know what it is, but I've, I've come across with, to, to people wrestling with anxiety and depression. And, and people telling me, Prince, there's some nights where I don't know why, but I just can't fall asleep. My mind is turning and turning and turning. And, and this person just ends up making up stories after stories and fears after fears, and it just removes the shalom right out of their souls. And maybe that's some of us here tonight, that even though we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those things and we put up a happy facade, look at my life. My life is awesome. I'm eating delicious foods. Look. (laughs) But deep down inside, behind that keyboard, behind that phone, we're hurting. We're hurting because we're missing the peace that God has for us. And the wholeness within ourselves is severed. It's broken. We become far away and distant from God. As created, as the created ones, we have become distant and estranged from our creator. And it's that big gap, that big space of us being created and and the creator, the bigger the gap, the less shalom that we have. And so the antidote, the response and the solution is within this gap, come back. Come back to our creator, come back to God. And some of us, and I don't know why I keep thinking about these words, come back. That's what I keep thinking about right now. And maybe that's a word for some of us, and maybe that's a word for myself. Some of us and many of us, we need to come back to our creator. And it's there we can find peace. A few years ago at my last church, they must have been desperate, but they asked me to volunteer in their nursery. Uh, and are you sure you want me to be with the, the kids? And, and I was an associate pastor at the time. I, w- I didn't have preaching duties. Uh, and so finally I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I go into the classroom with a lot of babies, uh, and, and, and they're crying. A lot of them are crying. And there's one particular baby, for some reason, would not stop crying. All the helpers, all the volunteers would hold that baby, would rock the baby, put a pacifier on the baby, you know, play peekaboo and all that weird stuff. I'm like, what's happening? But it wouldn't make the baby stop crying. And so finally, we had to page the mother. (laughs) And so we paged the mother and said, hey, uh, you know, this is only for quote-unquote emergency when we can't get the baby to stop crying or to stop fidgeting. And so I felt bad because I saw the mother get up, and she kind of had to do the walk of shame because everybody knew it's because of your child that you have to get up in the middle of the sermon to tend to your child. And I remember I gave it a shot. I was holding the baby, and I was doing everything that I could. It would not stop crying. And finally, when the mother came in, I said, you know what? Here you go. And as soon as the baby went into the mother's hand, something changed. Instantly, that baby stopped crying. The mother didn't do anything different. The mother didn't have any toys or pacifiers or food or any of the sort. The moment that the baby went back to its creator, the maker, Mother, I felt safe. 
He felt secure. He felt loved. There was peace. And many of us, it's time for us to come back to God, to our creator. Maybe for the hundredth time, maybe for the first time. Tonight is the night. And then so, many of us can be experiencing chaos all around, and yet we can still breathe because we know we have the shalom of God within us. That Paul, the Apostle Paul says, transcends all understanding. As we go into the place of communion, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And this is the reason why we can find peace with God, with others, and within our own selves. It's because of who Jesus was and because of what Jesus did that night when Jesus was betrayed and he was crucified. He said to his friends, he said, take this in remembrance of me because of what I'm about to do on the cross. It is finished. No longer do you have to wrestle with this division relationally with others, with, with ourselves, with people, with God. As soon as Jesus died on the cross and at his resurrection, he said, it is finished because of my work on the cross for you. This is my body. Take it in remembrance of me. And then he said, this is my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. So as a worship team, I'm going to invite them to just to play and to center ourselves and to focus on who God is. And I want us right now to take an inventory before we even come to communion. That in your bulletins, you will find this card that says, I can't see. And at that space that you have, I want you to pray, I want you to think, I want you to meditate, whatever it is that you need to do, and finish the sentence. I can see where I need peace, and it's here. I need to find peace with God. I need to find peace in this relationship. I need to find peace within myself, and here's, here's why. And I want you to be specific. You don't have to write your name down. This isn't going to be published, but there's something about writing it down that makes it so special and so holy and so sacred. And I want you to own it, and I want you to know it, and I want you to name it. Tonight is a night we start naming and we end this cycle. And we become creative, we become brave, and we become courageous. And we name what that is. And as you come forward to take communion, you can drop it off into that basket and know that it will be prayed for. You will be prayed for. And with that freedom of letting go, take and eat and drink. This is for you. Let me pray. God, thank you for who you are, your work on the cross, your resurrection that set us free. And we receive that freedom through the shalom that you provide to us, 
And it's that shalom, that peace that we give to others. And so convict us and speak to us tonight. Where is our brokenness? And may we be agents of reconciliation. We thank you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.